You know, there's, uh, I, I want to thank Christ Church for a number of things. One is that we had uh, Arts Night here on Friday night, and many of you showed up, and I want to thank you so much. Over 30-plus people received Christ as their Lord and Savior that night, and I just thank God for all your involvement. Praise the Lord. Also, I want to thank you for being part of Man Up. Many of you are helping us put on that tremendous conference for men and young men, and it's going to be on June 6th. happens again on June 6th, and this year we have uh, Pastor John speaking and myself, as well as Ben Roethlisberger and others, so I'd encourage you to come. If you're a young person or you're even a grandfather, we in America, in our culture, is changing rapidly. And I find men coming to me all over the place saying, Pastor Ed, the culture's changing. Can you help me, please, to know how to talk to my kids, how to walk in, with Jesus in my workplace, at school? I need help to be the spiritual leader of my home. It's getting very, very difficult. We can't answer the questions. The, ch the questions are changing so quickly. So men, come. Let's, let's lock arms together and let's learn how we can still be godly in an ungodly world. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning we know that we're continuing a series called Face to Face with Jesus. And this morning we're going to look at Peter and how he had a face to face encounter with Jesus Christ that transformed his life. Our passage is found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. And the title of the sermon is called, There's a Purpose Behind the Storm. The Purpose Behind the Storm. We're going to discover in our passage that the, that the disciples and Peter are in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And they're in the middle of a major storm. And it's there in that storm, while that storm is going on, that we discovered that there's a purpose behind that storm. And that purpose was to provide an opportunity for Peter to have a personal, face-to-face -face uh, encounter with Jesus Christ that would transform his life, that he would not only be blessed, but he would become a blessing. My prayer for you this morning is that you would understand through this sermon that while you're being obedient, even though you're being obedient, and a storm blows into your life, what that purpose of that storm is all about. And that purpose is to get each and every one of us face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ so that we can be impacted, so that we can make an impact in this world. Now, with that being said, I've got to pray just one more time. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, I would ask that you, you would be glorified and honored, that Jesus would be high and lifted up, that you would forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word, and that you would fill me and that you would speak to your people. And your people wouldn't just be hearers, but they would be doers of your word. I would be a doer, as well as a hearer. And that you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, when you look in the scriptures, in the Old and New Testament, you find that there are times God disciplines his people. Like a good, loving father, when we begin to rebel or become apathetic in our relationship with God, and we're being disobedient to him, he lovingly corrects us, and sometimes he uses physical storms to do it, like Jonah. Remember the story of the Jonah? Jonah's going off track. God blows a, a storm into his life in order to redirect him, get him back in a right relationship with God. And we find that God uses 
physical storms at times to discipline us because he's a loving father. But when we're being obedient to what Jesus has asked us to do and a storm blows into our lives, that's confusing. As a believer, that gets confusing. And usually we ask two questions. We begin to ask, God, are we doing what you've asked us to do? And once we're convinced that we are doing what the Lord has asked us to do, the second question is, why is this storm blowing into my life? Amen? We begin to ask that question. What's happening? Why is this happening? Well, there's no doubt about it that the disciples in our passage this morning are asking that question. Some of them, maybe Thomas, maybe even Peter, but I am without question in my mind, no shadow of doubt in my mind, that one or two of those disciples are asking that question while they're sitting in that boat in the middle of that storm. Let me give you the context, though, before we get into our passage. The disciples have just experienced one of the greatest miracles of all time. They've experienced the feeding of the 5,000. And they're absolutely ecstatic. They're at awe of what God has done. And while they're picking up the scraps, Jesus says this to them. In verse 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Notice it says Jesus made him. He commanded them, get in the boat and go. And I'm sure they somewhat resisted and said, but we just experienced the greatest experience. Doesn't matter. Get in the boat and go to the other side. Just like good, faithful disciples, they obeyed. They got, on the, got in the boat, went in the, to the other side, and what did Jesus do? He dismissed the crowd. Then verse 23 tells us this. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land. John chapter 6, verse 19 tells us that the disciples were three to three and a half miles off of shore, and they're rowing the boat. Then it says, buffed by the waves because the wind was against it. So there they are, three and a half miles off the shore, being obedient to what Jesus has asked them to do in this little boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden a storm blows in. And it says that they are buffed by the waves. That word buff literally means they are being tormented by the waves. So they're not in a little storm. They're in a major storm, a storm that's rocking their boat. Have you ever been in a storm that rocks your life, right? Really impacts you in a big way? They're like, if you've ever seen that movie, they're in the perfect storm. They're right in the middle of it. And they're asking themselves the question, wait a minute, aren't we doing what Jesus asked us to do? Why is this storm blowing into our lives? You ever been there? You ever been doing what God has asked you to do? And it seems like everything around you is against you? It's like your life falls apart. I have. I've been there. I remember the very beginning of the ministry with Tammy and I. On the north side, we were pastors. I was a pastor at Allegheny Center Lines Church. And two years in the ministry, my wife got a phone call from World Relief asking her if she would help a family that was coming from Laos and was coming to Pittsburgh, if she would be able to help that family establish themselves on the north side. Now, when you come from Laos and you've been in a concentration camp for many, many months, and maybe years, you're on that plane, all you come with is shirts on your back, with the shirts you have on your back. You don't have any, you can't speak the language. You need everything to be provided. But World Relief needed a sponsor. 
a church to give $3,500 for that to happen. So Tammy went to the church, ACAC, and asked, and sure enough, they gave him the $3,500. But they said to Tammy, but you've got to take responsibility of this family. She said, okay, I'll do it. So when you understand the situation, you know that they've got to find an apartment. So Tammy found this wonderful apartment across the street from the church. And the family was, of course, a husband and wife and then five children. So she got this wonderful apartment with all these bedrooms. It was, it was beautiful. But then we needed to provide furniture and, and clothes and food and everything else, education, jobs, everything for the family. So Tammy made this huge list, beautiful poster, put it on the church uh, lobby on the bulletin board. And we had two and a half months to get all the stuff for the family. And I was amazed. The church got everything. Furniture, food, clothing, toothbrushes, toothpaste. I mean, everything that the family would need. And next thing you know, though, we needed one set. We just needed a set of bunk beds. On Sunday, and the family's coming in on Monday night, the next night at 1130, the bunk beds came on Sunday morning. We put those bunk beds in the bedroom, locked the door of the apartment, left, and then Sunday night we were driving by the apartment and the lights were on. So Tammy and I pulled over, got out of the car, went into the apartment. When we got there, the door was slightly open. We pushed the door open and there standing in the middle of, that, of, of, of the living room was the landlord. And he had this horrific look on his face. And I walked in and I said, what's wrong? And he said, well, look around. And I looked around in the living room and everything was gone. Matter of fact, everything in the house was gone. The furniture, the clothes, the food, everything, even the toothbrushes and toothpaste, gone. I said, what happened? He said, all I know is I went over to the neighbors and they said that someone came up with a truck in the back of the apartment and were unloading things. And they just thought somebody was moving out. Oh yeah, they moved out. They took everything in the apartment. Now you have to understand... The next evening at 11.30, this family's showing up and there's nothing in the apartment. Well, meanwhile, we stayed there until about 2 o'clock in the morning. Police officers came, fingerprinted everything in the room that they could. 2 o'clock, after answering so many different questions, Tammy and I went to our apartment. And we sat at the end of the bed and we began to pray. And as we prayed, I began to ask the question, Lord, I'm confident, really, that we were doing what you asked us to do, Right? And he confirmed that, yeah. Then I said, then Lord, why is this storm blown into our lives? And right then, the Lord gave me a verse. In John chapter 6, verse 10, it says this. Lay your treasures up in heaven where rust, moths, and thieves cannot take from you. And I just thought, okay, we were faithful, we were obedient, and we just got to leave the results up to God. But then as we prayed, another verse came to our minds. Out of the parable of the sower. It's the last soil in in that parable, and that's the soil that produces great fruit. And it says there that it produces 30, 60, and 100 fold. But Tammy and I really didn't understand in that moment what that meant, but it gave us a peace. And we were able to sleep through the night. We got up early in the morning, went to the church, and told the pastors. And really, the church was devastated, to be honest. So we began to pray. And as we prayed at 10 o'clock that morning, Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. I will tell you the end of the story. (laughs) During the fourth watch of the night, 
Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Fourth watch of the night means six, about three to six o'clock in the morning. So it's pitch black. The disciples have been rowing for hours. They're three and a half, four, maybe four miles off of shore. This wind is pounding against them. They're up against a great storm. And Jesus comes walking out in the middle of the night on the lake. And then it says in verse 26, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. I think I would have done the same thing. But verse 27, But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. That word I right there, Jesus is not saying that I, Jesus, is out here, meaning a man. He's saying, he's declaring his deity there. He is saying to the disciples, for one of the, the, the first times in all of their relationship, he is saying, I am is out here. The great I am. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. The I am of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is out here. That's why you don't have to be afraid. The problem you're facing, I am the sovereign God. I'm in control of all things, and I'm on top of your problem. I'm walking right on top of it, and you don't have to be afraid. Because I am not just a man. I am totally man, but I am also God. I am the God-man. We know that truth that's found in Philippians chapter 2 about the incarnation of Jesus being totally man and totally God. And here he's declaring it to the disciples in the midst of that storm. And what does, how do they respond? Well, Peter responds. He responds in verse 28 and 29. Lord, if it's you, Peter, reply, tell me to come to you on the water. So what can Jesus say? Got to tell him the truth. Come, Pete. And what does Peter do? He's, a, he's, he's obedient. And it says in verse 29 and 32, then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water. Now listen. That word walked right there, I did a word study on that. Believe me, that word means he didn't stand there. He walked on the water. That's what the Bible says. He walks on the water right towards Jesus Christ. Now, you know that many of us went to Israel, and I was actually out on the Sea of Galilee, and, I was, and the wind was blowing that day. It was amazing. And there was waves going. I thought to myself, Peter walked on this water. He walks on it. And he walks towards Jesus, and then it says this. But when he saw the wind... He was afraid, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. As long as he kept his eyes focused on Jesus, he was fine. But the moment he took his eyes off to Christ and began to look to the waves and to the winds, he became afraid, and he began to sink. Now, Peter's a fisherman. He's been out on that sea quite often. He knows about water, but he's too far out. He can't get back to the boat. These waves are crushing up against him, and he gets afraid, and he begins to sink. In that moment, he knows he's not in control. There's no way he can figure this out. There seems to be no way out of this situation. And what does he have to do? He can't rely on himself. He doesn't have the power. He can't save himself. So he cries out to the Lord, and in that moment, he becomes totally dependent on Jesus Christ. And when he does that, he says, Lord, save me. Notice he doesn't say teacher or master or prophet. He says, Lord, it's capitalized. He got an idea of what Jesus said to him when he was walking out on that lake. He had an idea, holy Toledo, this is not just a prophet. This could be the living God. And he cries out to him. And what does Jesus do? It says immediately. I mean, like that. He grabs Jesus. I mean, Jesus grabs Peter, pulls him up out of the water. And while he's walking him back into the boat, he says, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? 
Now, a lot of pastors take this as a negative. It's not a negative. It's not written as a negative in the Greek. It's a very positive statement. What, Peter, what Jesus is saying to Peter is this. Hey, Pete, you had a little faith. How was it walking on that water? That was awesome, wasn't it? You were walking on the water. But why did you doubt me? Hey, Pete, how come you doubt me? And then it says they climb into the boat, and what does the wind do? The wind dies down, it says in the scripture. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. It seemed like that that wind had a purpose. And what was that purpose? To create that face-to-face encounter between Peter and Jesus. For what reason? We get insight when we look at the word doubt in that passage. That word doubt means that Peter's heart was divided. His mind and heart was divided. He did not really yet come to the place of believing that Jesus was what, who, and what he said he was. He didn't understand it. He had not really come to that place where he had experienced the reality of Jesus Christ. And he was divided in his mind and his heart. You know what? You cannot weather storms. You cannot live above your circumstances where God wants you to live if you don't really believe Jesus is who he says he is. You can't do it. If you're not convinced or confident that he can get you through the storm, if you don't know for certain that God is God, Jesus is who he said he is, then we begin to question, we begin to struggle, we begin to doubt, and what happens to our faith? We begin to sink. And we get overwhelmed. And we throw our arms out. And we begin to get mad at God and question God and get all this. And we say, God, I'm doing all these things for you. But there's a purpose behind that storm, my friend. And that purpose, we get insight in the book of James. Turn with me if you have your Bibles there. But if not, I've given it to you on the screen. It gives us some insight. In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now notice it doesn't say if. It says whenever. Meaning that all of us, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, we're going to have a lot of different things happen to us in our life. Matter of fact, Jesus said this. In this world you're going to have trouble, but be encouraged. Take heart because I've overcome the world. We're not in heaven. Only when you get to heaven does everything really calm down and everything becomes perfect. While we're on the earth, we're going to face trials and tribulations. We're going to have storms, whether we're being obedient or disobedient. But there's a purpose behind it all. And when that stuff blows into our lives, we need to know that. Very clear in the Bible. When you have these storms, why are they there? It tells us right here. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature complete, not lacking anything. So that you come to that place, that you get to the place that you absolutely are convinced and confident that Jesus Christ is who he is. And you know it. It's not about having someone else's faith or your parents' faith or even your grandparents' faith. It's about you and I, each and every one of us, coming to that place that we know We know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ died on that cross, was raised again from the dead. He lives and he's God and he's in control. He has my back. He loves me. He cares for me. He only has my best interest in me. And I can look and trust him in this moment and not doubt him. But when that wind's blowing 
and all of that process is taking place, it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, verse 5, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. You know what happens through this experience? The purpose behind that storm is to get Peter face-to-face with Jesus and experience the presence and the power of Jesus Christ in his life. When he was out there on that water, he couldn't save himself. He had to totally depend upon Jesus. It was there and then. That was the beginning of him truly believing and trusting that Jesus was who he said he was. You know what? It's all about this. It's about getting us to trust him so that he can entrust more to us. That's the point. Is that we would know him so that we might make him known. It's so that we might be blessed in that situation and understand that Christ is with us so that we might become a blessing. You see, it was all about getting Peter to that place to believe and not doubt so that God could begin this perfect relationship with Peter. Peter knows that he's loved and cared for. For what purpose? Just so that he could be mature? No, so that he could fulfill the mission that God had given him to do. It's about not just trusting God, but him entrusting more to you so that you might be someone who can be a blessing to people around you and fulfill his mission. Why do I say that? Look what happens in chapter 16, two chapters after this incident on that lake that night, that face-to-face encounter with Jesus. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now I want you to know who's responding here. It's the 11 boys who stayed in the boat that night. See the boat potatoes that stayed in the boat that night? And they just observed all this that was happening to Peter? They still didn't know who Jesus was. Oh, you might be one of the prophets, Jeremiah, whatever. It was head knowledge. They could see that Jesus was there. They didn't doubt his presence, but they did not ever experience his power. So they're still questioning, is he really who he says he is? But who answers this question? Pete. Watch what happens. Verse 15 and 16 says, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And when you look at that statement, he is saying it emphatically. He is confident and absolutely convinced. You are the living God, the one we've been looking for. Changed his life, everybody. Impacted him. That storm had a purpose. That purpose was to mature Peter. But not just to mature him, but what ends up happening? What does Peter, how does Jesus respond to Peter? Look at this in verse 17 and 19. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And we all know the story of Peter. You have the the movement of of the Spirit of God at Pentecost. And what does Peter do? He comes out of the house 
and he's the one who preaches the message in Jerusalem, and thousands of people come to Christ, and the church begins. It would have never happened if that storm didn't blow into Peter's life. He would have been like the other boys in the boat, still wondering, still questioning, still doubting. But you know, when you're in a storm, and now you understand when I'm being obedient, that it's there to help me to trust God so that God can entrust more to me. But how do you get through that storm? The same way that the disciples did. Here's three things that we find in our passage. When you're facing that storm, how do you not sink but walk in your faith? Even come a person who walks on water. How do you do that? Number one, you've got to put your faith in the presence of Jesus Christ. He came out walking on top of their problem. And he said, I am with you. I am is with you. When, when Tammy and I were sitting at the end of the bed, we never doubted that God was with us. Because God is everywhere. It wasn't like somehow he lost us. Somehow he got confused. Somehow he blinked and he lost us. He was with us. The second thing that we need to, to have faith in is not only faith in his presence, but in his promises. When Peter said, hey, is that you, Jesus? And Jesus had to give him the truth. He had to tell him who he, he said, yep, I promise, it's me. Come. We need, to, we need to put our full trust in the promises of God when we find ourselves in the midst of a storm. Jesus said this, I will, this is a promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never, no, never, ever, never abandon you. You won't do it. And Jesus is the faithful promiser. He speaks the truth all the time. The Bible tells us that all things work together for good for those who love God. The Bible also tells us what was meant for evil, God can turn it around for your good. In other words, it's what we sang about. Where there seems to be no way, we can have a promise from God that he is able to make a way. Which leads us to our third thing. We need to believe and trust in the presence, in the promises, and in the power of God. Let me tell you the end of that story. It's 10 o'clock. There seems no way, no way out of this. And then God provided a way. In that moment, we're praying. And all of a sudden, someone made a phone call. I don't, I, to this day, I don't know who it was. Made a phone call to the television stations. And by 11 o'clock that, that same day, we were the number one story in Pittsburgh. I mean, we were at the 12 o'clock, the 5 o'clock, the 6 o'clock, all the way through the day. Now, those, those people, that family was coming in at 11.30 that day. And at 11 o'clock, we became the number one story, and that message went out. And it was amazing. They were at the doorstep of that apartment, and there's Tammy and, and the pastor at ACAC, and they're telling the story. And next thing you know, it goes out, and organizations and churches, as well as ACAC, got behind it again, and they brought back a second time everything that was stolen. I mean everything. The furniture, the clothes, the toothbrushes, the tooth... I mean, everything was put back in that apartment that day. And those people flew in at 11.30 at night. They walked off the plane. Every TV station in Pittsburgh's got the TV cameras. They got the microphones on these people. They walked off there. They can't speak English. They have no idea what's going on. Tammy's trying to explain it. 
and are going through that day. You know, later on, as Tammy taught them English as a second language and they could speak, we said, what did you think when you walked off that plane? They thought, everybody in America gets greeted like this. <laughs> they had no clue. They walk off, they get this experience, they have no idea what's been going on. There they are. The next day, the report, all the TV cameras came again, and they followed their story throughout the day. About, I think it was around 1 o'clock or so. I'm standing in the church. Tammy's coming out of the apartment, which is across from the church. She walks out of the apartment, and a car drives up onto the sidewalk. Two guys get out, grab my wife, and put her in the back of this car. I see this. I bolt out of the church, and I must have looked like a wild man, because I'm running after them, after them, and next thing, these, next thing you know, these two guys get out of their car, and they begin to flash their badges at me. They were undercover cops. And they were telling themselves, no, 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 we're not doing anything wrong. Listen, Mr. Glover, stop, stop, stop. They grip me, they put me in the back of the car, and they begin to say this to us. The chief of police has called us and said our job is on the line. We've got to find those people who stole this stuff, and we've got to get it back. Can you tell us anything? We told them everything that we knew. In two days, they found those people. Seventy percent of what was stolen was brought back. But not only did that happen, but the people who heard about the story, churches and organizations continued to give so that we not only impacted that family, but we impacted five other families on the north side of Pittsburgh. Listen, yes, praise God. You know, that incident helped us in that day to really launch our ministry. It really did. I had no idea that God was in the, in the midst, that there was a purpose behind that storm. But many times, Tammy and I, through the years, at working with Urban Impact and being in the church in difficult times that come to us, we go back to that. And we remember that when we're being obedient, that we've got to know that when a storm blows into our lives, we've got to put our faith and know that God's presence and His promises and His power is with us. But we also need to know that there's a purpose behind that storm. And somehow it's trying to bring us face to face with Jesus so that we will totally depend upon him so that we become mature in the likeness of Christ. For what purpose? So that we might fulfill the mission of Christ. So that we would know him to make him known. And that's what has happened. And that will happen for you. Don't let your face sink, my friend. Know that God is with you. He's promised. And he has the power to make a way where there seems to be no way. He can do that for you. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. Let me pray for you. Lord, I know that there are things going on in people's lives here. And I pray for them. I ask in Jesus' name that today that they would find that face-to-face -face experience with you. And they would know that you are with them and your promises are true and your power is available to them. And Lord, that they would just call out in your, in, even in this moment as we sing, even in this moment of worship, that it wouldn't be church in any way. This would just be them and you. And they would talk to you. They would worship you. And Spirit of God, you would lead them in the way in which they should go. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.